So welcome to the Quality of Mind Transforming Business podcast. This is where we explore the new game-changing understanding that can unlock new levels of performance, resourcefulness, and well-being in the workplace. Join us if you want to be part of the new breed of leaders in business. Join us if you're fed up with the conventional echo chamber. And join us if you want to be part of the new revolution in understanding how the mind works and recognize that we are more than just our psychology and that that can lead to better results. Hello and welcome to the Quality of Mind Transforming Business podcast series. And today's episode, I have a a lovely conversation lined up with a a fellow professional in the area of the principles behind quality of mind. Um, He has a really interesting background and is able to make some wonderful comparisons between different aspects of our lives and work. So um, welcoming Sam Jarman to the show. Sam, welcome, hello. Hi Piers, thanks for the invite, looking forward to, to chatting. Absolutely. Sam, can you start off by telling listeners a little bit about your background and uh, where you've ended up? Sure. So um, my background is as a professional golfer. So I played full time golf for about 10 years and then got into teaching. So I did my my PGA training, um, became a member of the PGA Professional Golfers Association and in my teaching, I was sort of more drawn to the to the mental side of the game. Um, when I was playing, it, it, it was very apparent to me that lots of, of golfers out there can hit the ball really well, but the difference between those that could make a successful career out of it and those that ended up like me teaching was, was mainly down to how well they understood their thoughts and feelings when they played. So when I, when I started teaching, I was, I was, much more curious about that side of things than I was about the, the the golf swing and so started learning more about about that side of things and that drew me to um to, to the principles that we're going to be be talking about today um so I, I gradually got deeper into that with regards to working with golfers um and then that's led me to working in other sports as well so I work in cricket uh football rugby um, and I also do some work in schools and universities and, and with organizations as well. So here we go. We've got something here, which you're talking about something to people which can help their golf swing, help them bowl better balls and cricket, can help kids be better at school and help organizations be better at what they do. Uh, and the linking factor, I guess, is the mind. <laughs> indeed, indeed. I, I, I don't know whether it's the mind. I think it's the understanding of how the mind works, which I'm sure your you know your listeners are, are are well aware of. That we use this word mind, and um, I, I don't know whether you've sort of defined it, it previously. But to me, what we're referring to when we talk about the mind is just our thoughts, feelings, perceptions, and sensations, and and how those appear to us, and how well we understand what's going on with those will um will determine how we react to all of those things and and if you don't really understand what's going on you'll react very differently to our thoughts feelings perceptions and sensations than we will if we if we understand what's truly going on with with how that how those perceptions how those thoughts are created and and what they mean and and you know what the 
what the impact on us is likely to be with those? I think it's a great question because I would have said if you'd asked me 10 years ago that mind kind of made brain, you know, yeah. I thought similarish words pointing to the same thing, roughly didn't really see a distinction, me too. Um, but it's, it's, I mean, now I see a huge distinction between the two. And I think I would absolutely agree with your uh, definition of mind. And I think I, I'd also add one bit to that is that there's something in, in what the word mind that points to what's behind those feelings, thoughts, perceptions, and sensations, Definitely. almost like what's sourcing it. Yeah. Um, so it's like a catch all for that. But I think the biggest thing for me was to go, oh, the brain and the mind are totally different things. Um, and I'd never really thought that before because I just hadn't recognized it. Does, does that resonate with you? Absolutely. A hundred percent. I, you know, I, I think we probably, by the sounds of it, sort of stumbled upon this, this different understanding, maybe around the same sort of time. Um, and back then I would have thought the, you know, the mind, if you like, was an emergent property of the brain, whereas now I see it the opposite way around. The brain is something that is known by the mind. Um, the brain is just the word that we use for the, the physical object, which we all presume resides between our ears. We've never seen it. We've never, unless you're a brain surgeon, you know, how would I know I've got a brain unless somebody told me I had a brain? Yes. That's, that's you know, we, we talk about the brain as if it's something that is, um, you know, directly experienceable by human beings, but it, but it isn't, I've, I've never knowingly experienced my brain function, just like I've never knowingly experienced my, you know, the way my, my blood is pumped around the body. I'd probably know if it stopped, (laughs) but actually on a day-to-day basis, I'm not aware of what my brain is or what it's doing. What I am aware of is my experience. And yes. we know that the brain has got something to do with that experience, but that is still in the very early stages in, in terms of neuroscience of knowing what's actually going on there. And I think, uh, uh, you know, I was under the impression that neuroscience had it pretty much all figured out. And, and now I know that that, you know, that's very, very far from the truth. And, and I think, you know, let, let's get into this for a few minutes while we're here on this subject, because I think it's it's such an interesting distinction because, you know, I would have thought that, that the brain was the epicenter of everything about us. And and now to understand it's only a bit player, right? I mean, it's an important bit because if, if you put an electromagnetic thing part next to part of our brain, it will make half our vision black and white, right? So So we know it can affect our perceptions, no, no question about it. it. It can affect them, but it's not the source of them. Indeed. It's not the epicenter that we all thought it was. It's not all coming. You know, I was always taught that metaphor that the brain was like um, a library or a hard drive. Yeah. You know, and everything that you were was sort of in your brain. You know, and and the brain saw the world. That's that's how I was brought up, and and now to see that it's part of the process of perception rather than the source is quite a big difference. Now, before we get too hyper-scientific or hyper-philosophical, <laughs> what, when it comes to golf swings and being great in business, do you think it's useful to know about that, about the fact the brain not being the epicenter and the source? Great question. Um, I think what, what, I've, I've learned most from these principles over the last 10 years is that fundamentally we're at our best 
when we are allowing ourselves to whatever in whatever field we're doing we are allowing ourselves to flow instinctively and intuitively and naturally and you know the, there's a very common phrase in golf which is you know we're not getting in our own way mm. and i'm sure that phrase is is applicable to business to school to relationships to all sorts of things when things are going wrong it's usually because we're getting in our own way and when we're at our best it's just flowing so the word flow is is almost synonymous with 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 sporting excellence um and part of the problem with this idea that the brain i.e a physical part of our anatomy is in charge and in control of elements of our performance is is almost the opposite of that because we start to believe that look if the brain gives rise to thoughts feelings perceptions sensations our state of mind or whatever then we should be able to control that mm. and that unfortunately it is not our experience i don't know what my next thought is going to be i don't know how i'm going to feel in two minutes time and by you know when a, when an athlete is told look you should think positively you shouldn't think about the ball going in the water or you should visualize success but then other thoughts crop up that's that's then taken well what's wrong with me if i can't do that because apparently that's what all successful athletes and business people do they they are in control of their these thoughts feelings emotions whatever it is well if the model that you describe of the brain being the epicenter and the source of, of our experience is true, then, well, yeah, that we should be able to do that. But to me, this is the fundamental thing that's, that's wrong with what I would call the psychological approach to, 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 to performance is there is absolutely no evidence or there isn't even a theory in principle of how subjective experience, i.e., what we're all experiencing right now arises from the matter, the cells, the subatomic particles that make up a human brain. And, and this is, you know, neuroscientists have been trying to figure out how consciousness arises from this inert dead stuff called matter for, for, for tens of years, probably hundreds of years. And we're, we're not even remotely close to a theory about how it happens. So, this this problem was was referred to by a guy called Dave, a philosopher by the name of David Chalmers um, in 2003. He calls it the hard problem of consciousness. And until science, neuroscience and psychologists can explain how the brain gives rise to subjective experience, it, it's almost certain that we're looking at this in completely the wrong way. And trying to control this, i.e. so the physical controls the mental, which is what most people believe is the order that it works in, it's, it's, that's completely the wrong way of looking at it. What we should be looking at it is the other way around, which is mind or, or the mental side or mentation is primary. And then matter is part of our experience within our experience our experience is mental all we know are thoughts feelings sensations and perceptions the brain is known by something it doesn't know anything and and at the moment that we start to think hang on a minute maybe we've got this the wrong way around 
all sorts of different possibilities open up in the terms of the way we look at at performance uh, we look at the way we relate to other people we look at the way we we act in the world and it's it's so much of the things that are going wrong in in both you know when things are going wrong in both sport and life are because of this foundational misunderstanding about how our experience is created yeah i mean i i, I couldn't agree more and regular listeners would have heard us talk about this before you know a, a fair bit in in the idea that we've kind of got it the wrong way around and there's a primacy of consciousness or source or whatever you want to call it right and the implications of that although it's, it's fascinating isn't it sam because it's quite hard someone's just listened to this a little bit fresh and hasn't really heard much about this that they might be going what so you're telling me by me understanding that kind of conventional science has sort of got it wrong i'm going to get better at my sport or find it easier to navigate the world and, and life and business and it's quite hard for people until they've been there and experienced it to actually go well why will understanding that help me day to day how do i go from the profound to the practical again great question and i think it's it's so one of my favorite philosophers, modern philosophers, is a guy called Bernardo Castro. And he's got this wonderful phrase that he uses, which is that the intellect is the bouncer for the heart. Mm. <laughs> so if you if your intellect will, is, is convinced that the world works in a certain way, even though intuitively, i.e. in your heart, you feel that, hang on, this isn't making sense because I'm doing everything that the experts are telling me I should do and things aren't working. You know, if your intellect won't allow you to, to drop certain beliefs that you've got about how the world works, it's impossible for you to then go on and experience those fully. So, so basically what, what this different understanding of how our experience is created, how the mind works, how, how, what reality is, if you want to go that deep with it, it, it just opens up a doorway for us to, to, to use a different type of intelligence. So rather than going with always going with what our intellect and what logic and reason are, are telling us, we, we can just, just allow ourselves to go slightly more towards our intuition and our, 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 I don't even know the right word for it. The, just to be more sensitive to what our heart is telling us rather than what our head is telling us. And, and most of us will know that, you know, this thing that we've got, this inner wisdom, this gut instinct, when we trust that, often things work out a lot better than when we try to work things out rationally and, and, and use logic to, to determine the best course of action or how we should think or how we should feel or how we should behave. Yeah. And I think, you know, for me personally, I was so innocently, invisibly self-identified with my, let's, let's just call it the conceptual mind or the intellect, because I'd had, you know, I was very lucky, I had a quite a nice education, right? I didn't even really get this difference that, you know, you, you talked about there being a different type of intelligence. Indeed. Now, of course, I was already doing it because I'm a human being and, and we all are, right? But yeah. I, I never respected it or, or lent into it or let it run the show. Right. I, I thought I, I got by on my smarts and my conceptual understanding of the world. Right. So I never even realized there was a difference. And I think one of the wonderful things is not only does it give you more of a sense of navigating life through a sort of instinctive wisdom based thing, it, it also helps a couple of other things. I think I think your 
day-to-day experience of life just feels better, right? So you get more juice from the orange on a day-to-day basis. So the simple things like going outside for a walk, doing the washing up, feel better and nicer. So that's great. Also, you don't, I think there's, there's something wonderful that happens around how you don't limit yourself by your imagination. Yeah. So a lot of us, particularly people who are slightly disenchanted with the world or disillusioned by what's going on, they've lost their mojo sometimes. It's because when they look down at the next five, 10 years, they just think, uh, well, it's going to be a bit more of the same, isn't it? Right. So they're not getting much juice from the orange and they're kind of thinking, well, how can, how can things be better unless something dramatically changes on the outside? Yeah. And, and this gets you to see that you can have a better felt experience of what's going on without anything actually changing and you stop limiting yourself. But I, I just wasn't really, I didn't clock it. I just had no idea it was available until people very helpfully pointed and pointed to me. And I was like, oh, there is a difference. And then you can, and once you start to notice a difference, it becomes really obvious, doesn't it? But Absolutely. I think the jump for people is trying to go, well, what, what are they pointing about? Well, what are they talking to? You know, what is this voodoo stuff yeah. they're on about? <laughs> yeah. And the, 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 as I say, it's almost that it's hiding in plain sight, isn't it? Mm. You, you know, from the moment that we, 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 we were able to communicate, we've been, we, we've been educated to believe that our happiness lies in achievement, attainment, and material possessions or material wealth. So, you know, when you're five, you're told, well, you'll be happy when you get into this school, when you Mm. make these friends, and then it goes on, you'll be happy when you get into the next school. Then when you get these exam results, then when you get picked for this team, then when you go to this university, when you find the right partner, when you get the right job, when you get the right, you know, relationship, when you have this much money in the bank, when you retire, and, and, we're always making our happiness conditional on something external to us, conditional on the, on the, on the situation or circumstances of our life. And it's no different in sport. You know, we're, we're constantly, you know, when we win something, we feel happy and we believe that the happiness came from the winning. So, well, then you're on the treadmill because in order to feel that again, you've got to do it again. And we all know that a sporting life is, is short. It's finite. And if you're identified, if you believe that who you are is the label of a footballer or a cricketer or, or a, an Olympian, an athlete, then that's, you know, what happens when that stops? Who, who am I? And I think that's the big question that, that this, this journey leads us to is, is, you know, that question of who we are at our source. Are we just the labels that society has placed on us through the achievements and the attainments and, and the doing that we've done or are we something else and and that exploration for me has been you know the most powerful and the most liberating thing that that I've ever been lucky enough to to to, to uncover um, and as I say you know I'm very, feel very fortunate that my work now is is helping other people to to explore that for themselves well, let's get into that for a few minutes because listeners may also have listened to a podcast we did called Self and I, and this is going to this is going to back that up. But I know Sam's got a nice way of talking about it, so I, I kind of know where I'm going with this. So, so Sam, if someone's listening and went, "What do you mean, who we really are?" Maybe they just clocked that phrase. How would you um, help them just explore that? Just in five minutes now, how would you help someone explore that? 
who we really are, truly are. What's our true essence? How would you do that? No problem. So, so when when we when I when I say those words, who we really are, what what this is the question: Who or what am I referring to when I say the words I or I am or me? So, what is the what is the essence? What am I referring to when I say I or I am? Because most people, and as I say, based on the the journey that I've just described there, most people believe themselves to be the central character in the story of Sam, for example. So Sam, Sam is born, so therefore he is a body, and he's given a name, and he's given some parameters. So he's he's a boy or a girl, a man or a woman. Um, he's he's a certain age so there's a time frame attached to him all all of these things are are who we think of as me these are essential parts of the story the character of the story but you know it's it's interesting when we start to question that and this is this is a, a a little sort of thought experiment that i do with 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 some of the people that i work with it's like well am I really just the body that is, is that who I'm referring to when I say I am? And it's like, well, hang on a minute. I say, I don't say I am a body. I say I have a body and you know, my body has changed a lot since I was a baby. You know, it's not the same body. I think, I think scientifically there's something to say that the cells in our body are pretty much totally replaced every, every six or seven years. So it's not the same body that I was born with yet. I still refer to it as to to me as I, so I'm, I'm probably not referring to the body because the body's changed, but my sense of I, the sense of who I believe myself to be or who I know I am is the same. It was the same when I was two years old. It's the, it was the same when I was 10 years old. It was the same when I was 20 years old. It's the same now. I still think of myself as I. And, you know, if I, if I had an accident and lost a hand or lost an arm, I wouldn't feel like I was any less me. Mm. My body would have changed in an instant, but I would still be me. I would still feel that I was I. So, it, it seems to me that this identification with the body is is an illusion. It's that's that's not who I am, in the sense that you know, you know my, my body is probably more in the the same ontological category as my car or my my house. It's kind yeah. of where I live. It's what I drive around in. So so that sort of sort of gets us away from the idea. Well, all I am is the the meat suit, the body. Um. <laughs> And the next thing is, well, you know, what about the labels? Am I am I something more than the character of the, the story of my life? Well, the story, as I say, the story has changed. You know, my story has changed massively from when I was five years old to I'm, you know, I'm I'm fifty this year. So there's a lot gone on in that time. The story has changed. You no, know, my job has changed. Um, you know, the, the way that I describe myself to people has changed the way that people, no doubt, the way that people see me has changed, but I, res- I still refer to myself as I. So it seems to me that the, the I that I'm referring to is not the character. It's what knows the character. It, it's, it's what, it's what's aware of the character. So the, 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 what I'm referring to as I is the awareness or the consciousness in which the story takes place 
And once you start to explore that and start, even even you don't need to believe it. The, the last thing I want anybody to, to do that's listening to this is believe what I'm saying. Please go and explore it for yourself. But once you just open up to the possibility that who you really are, who we really are, is, is not a, a limited, finite body and mind, but is something much, much deeper, much, much wider, much, much greater than it opens up all sorts of possibilities for how we how we live, how we see the world, how we relate to other people, how we perform and, and how we live our lives because the attachments that we had to those ideas of who we are and, and, and to, this, to this body, which we all know is going to come to an end at some point, we can start to just question, well, hang on a minute, does this awareness, does this consciousness that I I, I know myself to be because I can sense it. I, I know it. Well, does that consciousness, that awareness share the limits and the, you know, the restrictions of, of, of the body and, and of this mind, which we know are going to end? Are, are they limited or, or are they, are they wider? Are they infinite? That's, that's the question that pretty much every spiritual tradition and, and, and every philosophy and every religion has been pointing to over the last 3000 years, you know, this is the conversation that to me is the most important one we can have. It's, it's, you know, those three massive questions, who am I, what is this? So what is this experience that I'm having? What is life and, and what should I do in it? What's the purpose? What's the meaning of it? exploring those three things are the are the real keys to answering a lot of the smaller more maybe troubling on a day-to-day -day basis that a lot of people are struggling with and, and i think people start often with question three what should i do in life without considering questions one and two and that's what it gets backwards but and, and i think it's so fascinating isn't it because it's almost like we know there's something that's continuous about us right yeah. that is has been similar when, when i was two five thirty fifty that you know maybe is the same for everyone but but we we've the mistake we've made is that we think that thing that's continuous is the body mind right so yeah. so the me that the peers or the sam what we think oh that's yeah. the continuous bit actually the bit that is continuous is the thing that's aware of all of that absolutely so we've kind of sussed there's something continuous um, and it's funny, isn't it? I love the examples of deep sleep, right? We'll, we'll have a beautiful night's sleep, you know, and it, it, and some of that will be dreams and some of that will be deep, deep sleep. And we'll wake up in the morning and we'll say, I had a nice sleep. And like, what are we referring to when we say, I had a nice sleep? Because actually for part of that deep sleep, there was no you, exactly. there was no time, space, matter. Exactly. Right? There was nothing in the content of your personal mind, but something was still there. Yeah. So, that, so there wasn't no awareness. There was the awareness of absence, which exactly. points to the fact that the continuity isn't the peers or the Sam or the body or time, space and matter. It's something else. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's it. You, you know, we all know when you've had a good night's sleep. Well, how could you know that you had a good mm. night's sleep if there was nothing there that was aware of it? Yeah. It's, so it, it's that's to me is the, as I say, the, the, you know, those three questions, you sort of said that the third question, I mean, to me, that's the simplest of, of the three questions to answer because 
if you ask anybody what do you want most out of life or what do you want most for your kids or for your family what what do you think they'll say oh they want happiness and well-being peace of mind exactly so that's that's to me is the simplest thing so the third question it seems like the biggest one like what's the purpose of life well the purpose of life is to be happy that's it so once you've got that established it's like well okay well what is happiness well to, to me, happiness is, is really simple. It's just the absence of, of seeking or resisting. Mm. So, so when you're happy, you're not looking around for stuff to make you happy. You just are. You're just being. So therefore, happiness is, is almost our simplest way of existing in that when we just are, when we're not thinking about the future or the past or what may or may not happen, we're happy. And, and most people, when I ask them, I say, well, when, when were you happiest? They'll say, well, when I was a kid. Mm. And I'll go, okay, then, well, you know, so you know happiness, you know the feeling of happiness, you have experienced it, it's part of your reality. What had you done? What had you achieved? What had you attained? How much money had you got at that point when you were happy? Mm. And I go, well, nothing. I just, I just was, you know, I just played. I was just, I was just being. And it's like, well, okay, so if that, if if that if you were happy then what's stopping you from being happy now apart from the fact that you've placed all these conditions on your own happiness Mm. (laughs) and that's where we start to get into this whole sort of question of oh yeah you know i'm not i i can be happy at any moment i can be happy for no reason and the main thing that's stopping me from being happy is all these conditions that i'm placing on my own happiness at the behest of this this culture and this society that unfortunately we're we're living in which has got it asked backwards yeah and i must admit I, i'm yeah this is just semantic now the word happy for me is slightly sometimes the wrong word um it partly because for about six seven years i had a business called feel happy now right <laughs> um <laughs> this is when i was back in the days of nlp you know back in 2002 yeah. I, I started that and i wish now it was called feel now rather than feel happy now because actually when you're talking about the word happy some people think well that just means always being positive and and never you know never crying if if your football team loses or if if someone's you know so we don't mean happy in always positive We, we just mean being peaceful in the now being okay, content, being okay, being okay. well within yourself, being, yes. you know, whatever word you use for that underlying feeling of okayness, whether it's happy, peace, love, contentment, well-being, all of those words. It's it, again, if I was a, if I was a Japanese person or a Chinese person, I'd have a different word. Yeah. I'd know what that sensation was. I'd know what that feeling was, but I would use a different word for it. Again, yeah. it's, it's, we're very limited by our, our language when we're talking about this stuff because language itself is a concept and what we're pointing to is something that's beyond the conceptual. So Absolutely. It, it's, it, you know, when we're talking about this stuff, you, you know, and I've found this to my, to my cost is that I, I have to try and make clear that don't worry about the language, you know, and this is, this is, you know, Sid, Sid Banks always used to say this, look for the, look for the feeling rather than the, you know, rather than for the, for the words or for the, for the the intellectual understanding of it. It's a, it's about the feeling. It's not about the, the the intellectual understanding or the, but I did like one way you described it, which I I quite like, which is it's actually, if you, when you would talk about happiness, it's, it's the, 
it's the ceasing or the absence of seeking. So actually what we mean by happiness, because you were saying, well, when we were a little kid, we just felt happy. Well, how come? Well, I wasn't trying to seek anything. I wasn't trying yeah. to get anywhere. I wasn't trying to achieving. So almost happiness is what, or peace of mind, what you want to call it, is what's hap what happens when everything else drops away. Yeah. Including the self-body mind. Yeah, exactly. When you stop, you know, the, the, the key to happiness, it, it, one of my favorite sayings is, you know, hap happiness is, is um, you, you know, it's not getting what you want. It's wanting what you have. Mm. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, and, and let's take that for a moment into flow. So you, you mentioned flow before. Yeah. And, and you, you talked to a lot of sports people. So when they're absolutely in it, they're not thinking, am I winning the PGA? Am I back to score the winning try? That they're not they're not in that bit. That might come before or after. When they're in absolute flow, there's no seeking going on. Exactly. Exactly. There's there's no seeking because there's no seeker. Yes. So, and they've lost themselves. I'd even exactly. say that I lost myself in the game. Yeah. If you I, I use this analogy quite a lot or, or this story quite a lot. It's like if you if you if you're lucky enough to hear a sports person, literally the moment after they've just come off the pitch or after they've just had an amazing performance and somebody sticks a microphone under their nose and asks them to describe what was going on, most of them will go, I haven't got a clue. I've got no idea. Yes. Now, if they get a couple of minutes for the media training to kick in and for their <laughs> brain, their intellect to create this story about what happened, you'll get a different answer. But straight after when it's fresh, and I know this from my own experience, and most people will have had this experience for themselves, whether it's in work, whether it's in sport, whether it's in a hobby, whether it's, you know, they're creative, whether they're an artist or a musician or whatever. When you're when you've lost yourself in 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 a particular moment or a particular performance, you've got no idea really what's going on. It's just like it's just unfolding. It's almost like you're watching yourself do it. You're not in control of it. Mm. It's in control of you. And that's that's what we love. That's the moment in sport that everybody is looking for. It's not about the winning. It's not about the money. It's not about the trophies. It's not about the, you know, what people say about you in the papers the next day. That moment where you completely lose yourself in the experience is why most people play sport. I'm going to, I'm going to point to an example of that, which I'm sure you're very familiar with. And I saw it so clearly. Ben Stokes, when he did that amazing last wicket yeah. stand, um and he did he, i think he got 90 did he get 90 runs or something no he got 100 he got 130 odd i think it was it was but, he, but the last wicket stand was ridiculous wasn't yes it? Never yeah, been yeah, done before. yeah yeah and someone chucked a microphone under his face about a minute after he came off <laughs> the pitch right. and he just was like he was so still in it yeah. he couldn't even speak really exactly right? And he then had to think, oh, I better make something up about what. And all he said was, I think he said something like, I just played the ball as it came. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's what he said. So, so, it, but, but it is, it's like you can't, you can't describe what you were doing in that moment because you weren't there. Yes. Yeah. And now, now, just to be clear for people on this, when we say you weren't there, I'm not talking Sam and Piers weren't in the audience, uh, audience, crowd. Um, we're saying Ben Stokes, ben the cricketer. Stokes. He wasn't, the self of him wasn't there. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. exactly. He was just in it. Yeah. And he lost himself in it. Yeah. And, and he then didn't even think about the score. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, the way that we exist is through through a narrative. You know, it's almost impossible for for a human being to live a life without some sort of narrative. 
but in those moments of flow the narrative is is suppressed it's very quiet it's very it's very calm but then afterwards the narrative kicks in and ben stokes will reappear and start mm. telling the story about how he won that game of cricket that's how it works but it, you know that's that's always with hindsight and we're always telling that story effectively looking in the rearview mirror Yes. So it's you know I've I've got a, a professional cricketer that I that I've become very good friends with that I do some work with and he 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 won a final for his team and he said he couldn't remember anything about hitting the winning runs or or the catch that he took in the semi final until he watched it on TV afterwards. Yeah. You know he didn't even know the he didn't even know who who the, who the bowler was or the or the, the the batter that he took the catch off. He said I I just I had no idea. It was just just flowing it's interesting it because if we make it a little bit about business just for the moment because i know some people here will be interested in business um it is that you know you said it's impossible to exist without a narrative that's even more prevalent in business because oh, in course. sport you're kind of allowed to lose yourself sometimes right that, yeah. that's sort of allowed yeah particularly if you're performing now in business when great decisions are made or the business is thriving or you just had a lovely conversation with a potential customer or supplier or you know, you have to narrative have a narrative for that right it's you know and and the board meeting conversations are all narrative right i'm not sure i think we we may be slightly talking about talking about slightly different things in the moment there's no narrative there might be words being spoken but i don't know about you but i when i come on a podcast like this i have no idea what i'm going to say no me neither. the words are almost out of my mouth before i've i've realized what i'm saying now usually something coherent comes out but it's 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 always been the same in sort of you know in in my business now which is 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 coaching you know i'll say something to a client and i'm almost like I, I'm almost surprised sometimes about what what I've just said because I didn't know I was going to say it. it. Just it just came to me. It I I didn't say it. it came through me if that makes sense. And I've I've you know with the, with a the couple of the books that I've written as well, I've written a paragraph and I'm like looking at it going where the hell did that come from? Yeah, I've never had that thought in my life before, and all of a sudden it's appeared on a page in front of me, and and it, it it's. I would imagine that's how a lot of decisions get made as well. It's like the the decision happens and then the decider appears in the moment that's, afterwards. That's exactly what I'm referring to, Sam, yeah. is that yeah. um, they will have to justify it to their board, their customers, their suppliers, you know, how it happened. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And that's where the narrative comes in. So the Absolutely, 100%. Yeah. So actually in the moment, they made a, a beautifully emergent decision or and it actually wasn't even a decision for them as an obviousness which then yes. gets retrospectively Perfect. made into um but because they don't realize that's what's happened when they want to replicate that or they want their staff to replicate that they think that happened because of the amount of information they had or the amount of business experience they had or yeah. whatever it is rather than going oh no that just came from that you know we talked about that different type of intelligence before exactly. you mentioned that it exactly. came through that and i'd, I'd def- Funniest little example of that yesterday, I was talking to a, a client and he's got potentially a big, you know, curveball coming into one of his business plans, you know, because he's being sued by someone else and then someone else is doing something else and there's not some multiple parties getting in the way. And he said to me, I, I know I'm going to be okay, but I, I need more than that right now to help me. <laughs> right? Yeah. I wouldn't know that feeling. <laughs> yeah. And I just said, pause, stop. 
just listen to what you just said. Now he has yeah. a bit of this understanding already. I said, just pause, listen to what you said. You want more than that right now. And who's asking that question? Exactly. Right. And, and he spotted it, right. You get, get yeah. a bit of nudging. He spotted it and went, oh yeah, <laughs> I don't actually need more than that. I just yeah. think I do. Exactly. Beautiful. It's such a beautiful example unfolding in the moment. So, Absolutely. um, it, and I think, you know, to try and make this relevant for, for people in, in their everyday life, because some of the stuff that we've pointed to is really quite wonderfully profound is that's how simply it turns up, doesn't it? Yeah. And it's, again the biggest form of getting in your own way is thinking it's not that simple because <laughs> 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 uh, we're, we're so addicted to this to this to this cleverness to this intellectual this conceptualization that the fact that something can be that simple is is it's kind of like well the ego doesn't like that because it's like well how am i going to one take any credit for that because mm. it's so simple and two yeah, that doesn't make me look great. <laughs> yeah. And, and if we're, you, you know, the, the, the story of Sam is, is, is if I believe that that's who I am, then the more that I can aggrandize that character and increase its worth and increase its value, the better that seems to be. So the fact that I've done something clever and amazing is, and, and I can tell a really great story about it. Well, that's part of that process. But the moment that I see that that's not who I am and that I don't need to do any of that, I open up to the simplicity of, of, of an insight, just dropping in and going, Oh yeah. Mm. Well, that, yeah. That'll work. And just going with that. And it, and it takes the, it takes the grind out of it, you know, it takes the pressure off it. Totally. Um, so, you know, a lot of us would think, well, as a responsible business person, I should think about this stuff a lot. It's my duty to yeah. think about these, what have been, I perceived in my sensations as big problems a lot, right? Yeah. And if I didn't do that, I'm not doing my job very well, right? Yeah. So, so we think and that's why I'm played the big bucks to think yeah. about stuff a lot, to yeah. wear that stress on my shoulders almost. And it, yeah. this, you know, what you said about this being too simple, it feels a bit like you're cheating. <laughs> yeah, well, right? that's, but, that, but that's what it feels like when you're at your best on the sports field as well. It's like if you watch Federer play and it doesn't look like he's grinding or he's working uh. hard, he's just, it, it's, it's effortless. And, and that's what it's like when we, you know, the, the, allowing yourself to 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 look in the direction of effortlessness and look in the direction of simplicity and unfortunately again we're back to our societal and cultural conditioning where you know this protestant work ethic if you want to call it that and this this mm. you know we 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 lionize hard work and and it's it's you know it breaks my heart when i see a group of kids on a playing field just loving what they're doing playing with enthusiasm and freedom and creativity and expressing themselves and then they come off the pitch at the end of the game and the coach goes well done guys you worked really hard today and I'm just like you know that's mm. not what it looked like to me and I'm absolutely <laughs> certain that's not what it felt like to the kids because they were just having a fantastic time the last thing that was for them is hard work yes no wonder we're you know these these kids you know and i've seen it a lot unfortunately where you know you a, a kid with talent and enthusiasm and creativity gets into one of these sporting organizations and you know three years later they're they're hating the game because it's become work for them mm. 
and yeah. it's, the, it's the it's the single most you, you know it's the single biggest thing that that I talk to professional athletes about it's like how can I rediscover the joy for this game that I had as a kid because I've turned it into a into drudgery I've turned it into into something I have to do rather than that I love doing and I'm point. sure there are people in business that have found that as well, where maybe they, you know, the enthusiasm that they had as a startup or as, you know, they've, they've found a passion and they followed it and managed to turn it into something that they can earn money from or earn a living from. But then it just becomes, you know, all the complications just suck all the fun out of it and we turn it into work. I, I, I think it's a really prevalent problem to different degrees in business people i speak to a lot of people oh, i've lost my mojo it feels a bit flat yeah. i think actually it's huge sam we've kind of um because i like to keep these relatively short and it's been such a beautiful conversation but we might need to do a part two i mean i I've no problem super enjoyed it but if there was something you could say to sort of <laughs> you know <laughs> sum this up the last parting thoughts for any listener who's like okay i'm sort of with you guys but what 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 next well what would you say as a sort of parting thought if it feels like hard work, stop. <laughs> Just pause for a second. And, and what you'll find is that you've, you're not seeing it as who you really are. You're seeing it in through the eyes of the character in the story. And, and any time that you feel pressure or stress or that you're grinding, it's because you've, 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 you're seeing it from the wrong perspective. You've yeah. identified with the character, with with the, the ego, with the person that you think you are, rather than the true self. So that that's the that would be my my takeaway. And it's it's the thing that I say to 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 all of the athletes that I work with. If it feels like hard work, if you stop enjoying it, press pause and just try and reconnect with what it was that you fell in love with when you started doing it. Yeah, and almost the feeling is the indicator the rumble absolutely wrote about 100%. that so the system's telling us that isn't it you exactly. know it's almost help helpfully going yeah the fact this feels grindy and hard and difficult is a clue that you've forgotten what you truly are exactly. um and get back to that yeah that, that, that's a lovely way to leave it so sam thank you so much for coming in this conversation um mate you're so if, welcome if, really enjoyed it thank if you people want to get hold of you can i just put your website and stuff in the show notes sure. and stuff yeah it's um yeah sportsprinciples.com is probably the best one on my websites unless you're a golfer otherwise it's uh, samjarmangolf.com brilliant well I'll, I'll definitely put that and um it's been beautiful talking to you so thank you so much for coming on and and everyone else have fun being curious See you next time. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please reach out and leave us a review and a comment. If you want more info, check out makingchangework.co.uk or Piers Thurston on LinkedIn.